The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world who knows that Mo Christmas is not just a frame of mind. It was a minor league player in the 1990s. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. And Maurice Christmas pitched from 1992 to 1997 in the Atlanta Braves system. He went by Mo. Mo Christmas. Mo problems. Mo Christmas. Mo problems? I don't know. That's uh, for you to decide. We are pre-recording this episode, this special Christmas edition. doesn't really have anything to do with Christmas, but we wanted to make sure we released a show today, even though we, even as Jews, we are celebrating Christmas. At least I am with my wife's family. And so we wanted to get some content up here uh, for you fine listeners, whether you're celebrating Christmas or not. And we are going to do that in the form of a Hall of Fame special. You know, there are people out there celebrating Christmas who maybe you hate your families and mm. you don't want to be with them and you want to listen to our podcast. Mm. And then for all the members of, of the tribe out there, okay, like instead of Chinese food, listen to the pod. Yeah. Or do both. That's also totally fine. And, and then for those of you who believe in no religion, the only religion to believe in is the Hall of Fame. Am I right? <laughs> the Church of Cooperstown. And that is what... We will be talking about today. This is an episode, uh, I believe, last year um, for our Hall of Fame discussion. We did it much closer to the reveal in January. Um, so this year, we don't have as much data in terms of the direction of the ballot. I know it's only been a few weeks that uh, you know the great uh, Ryan Thibodeau has been tracking the Baseball Hall of Fame ballot as he has for many years now. But what we're going to do is we're just we're just going to go through it. The first half of the shows we're going to talk about. A, a wave of newcomers to the ballot that, I mean, he, let's just be honest, Jake. I mean, we're, this is the ultimate sign of getting old. Is it's like, oh, yeah, like I remember all these guys, most of their careers, and now they're on the Hall of Fame ballot. This is a new experience for us. Um, so these are players that actually mean real things to us in the way that they didn't necessarily when we first started talking about the Hall of Fame somewhat professionally 10 years ago. How was I supposed to get riled up one way or the other about Jack Morris when he was done playing by the time I entered this earthly plane? Like, I can't. Whereas for Jose Bautista, I I have thoughts. I have many, I have thoughts and feelings and, and many things. So anyway, so... That's what we're going to do here. Uh, the first half, we'll be looking at the newcomers. Second half, we'll be reviewing who is still on the ballot and who has a good chance at election. And then in the end, we will indeed be presenting our ballots, as well as one more thing that I haven't shared with Jake yet. Oh, we love those things. Mm. Uh, but Jake, let's begin. Well, uh, I want to begin. We get into the names. Yeah, we should yeah. Kind of set the stage. Yeah, before we get into the names, let's talk about our respective Hall of Fame ideologies. Sure. The way we think about the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Only one of us mm-hmm. wrote a substantial college paper on the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And wonderful. it was not me. I like how for you and I, like, you wrote on the Hall of Fame and I wrote about uh, political Islamism and the Tunisian Revolution. Mm hmm. So I guess tomorrow we'll do a pod on that. 
I would we'll say. We'll do a pot on that. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I did indeed uh, write my senior thesis on baseball in the Hall of Fame. And I, a lot of it was specifically like steroids and how it's talked about. That was essentially the premise is basically just diving into just doing essentially a rhetorical analysis of like, what are the ways that people talk about steroids in the Hall of Fame in a positive way and in a negative way? And a lot of it was about, you know, a character clause and, and what, it, the part of the, the voting that instructs voters to consider people's character and, and all these other things. Something that at the time, you know, I kept it focused on steroids, but it's obviously become a part of the conversation beyond that, right? I mean, this is, uh, and that some people that disagree strongly with that, and I think that some people rightfully are like, yeah, no, like I don't want to celebrate people that are that are bad people, and and I, I don't, we're not going to you know dive too into far into that stuff, but it is it is a real part of this conversation. It'll come up with some of the players we discuss, um, but at the time, you know, I was just just focused on the the old PEDs. Because I think that inspired enough discussion on its own. Now, at the time, I was super interested in it. Of course, we still had Bonds and all those guys on the, on the ballot. That's changed. We've had some of those guys have moved on. Now we have some different PD cases that I wasn't looking as closely at, like Manny and A-Rod. Um, so that part of the discussion's kind of moved on. I'm excited that now most of this can just be about the baseball players and the careers that they had. Uh, and, and I'm excited for most of these players that we're going to talk about. That is going to be the focus. But admittedly, it sometimes evolves and devolves into a lot more than that. My approach to this is a battle between good and chaos. Because mm. what I want to do is I want to vote for Jose Bautista and Bartolo Colon and James Shields. I want to do that. I feel that deep within me. However, now that we are members of the Baseball Writers Association of America... And in nine years from now, Jordan, we're going to have the opportunity to vote for this shit. I don't know if we will. Well, we're, I know we're, we're jumping ahead. This is what I wanted to, to discuss later. But but we will. It's a, good, it's a good thing to start with. It's true. And that means I feel an obligation to be legitimate and not irresponsible mm -hmm. with my points. Because when we see a goofy ballot online, we laugh at that. And I don't want to be laughed at. I've been laughed at enough. <laughs> In my life, I'm laughed, laughed at with. Yeah, well, I'm laughed <laughs> at three days a week on this year's show, and I don't need mm -hmm. that to <laughs> spread to the public space. So anyway, mm -hmm. I like Mark Burley. Like, I really do think there are arguments for him to be in the Hall of Fame. I can't really think I can vote for him. Yeah, we'll get yeah. to all of that. But mm -hmm. I, in my mind, uh, Kevin Goldstein, okay, who now works for the Minnesota Twins and co-hosted a podcast called the Up and In Podcast for Baseball Prospectus, which was the show that really sucked Jordan and I into this universe. Mm -hmm. Kevin's approach to the Hall of Fame was the Hall of Fame, and that if you were notable and famous enough mm -hmm. in a positive way, then he would vote for you. So, like, he would have voted for, like, Bo Jackson, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, there, I don't agree with that. But there are aspects of that thought process that I do agree with. And sure. that is more in like my general manness to Bobby Abreu mm -hmm. is where that manifests mm -hmm. more than like I'm voting for Jose Bautista because he hit one big home run one time. <laughs> yeah, I think that, right, that gets into the did it feel like I was watching a Hall of Famer, something that we can now 
feel like we can comment on with some of these players, you know, and and, and increasingly so as we get older and players who the, the, the bulk of their careers. Now, admittedly, you know, some of the players, some of the new, you know, the, the newcomers that we're going to talk about, we clearly remember watching them, but maybe not necessarily through the intense analytical lens that we do with players that will be entering the ballot in five years, right? I mean, I obviously we're going to talk about Joe Maurer, we're going to talk about Beltre and Utley, who and David Wright. Like these are incredible players who we very much remember playing, but the, in some cases they're peak, 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 peak. Like we were still in high school, right? Or we were still even younger than that, right? In Beltre's case, so it's a little bit different. But I do think that we have a little bit more of a clear-eyed understanding of who these players are than than in, than in the past when we would talk about it. And all these players can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. Jordan, which person on the Hall of Fame ballot is most likely to ever send us an email? Oh, man. um, That's a good question. Not if, if we're expanding and I'm trying to open it to even ones, probably Billy Wagner, maybe? As someone Billy that Wagner, you've interviewed before? I was going to say... Yeah. Billy Wagner is the only person on this list whose phone number I have. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that I mean, gives you... him a nice leg up. However, don't forget, we've interviewed Alex Rodriguez as well. I, that's true. Um, I'm going to throw Jimmy Rollins in there as an as an option as someone who's like on TV in like the baseball talking space Yeah, that I could imagine there's a sequence of events where like, we get to meet Jimmy Rollins and we hit it off and it's like, oh yeah, like I'll, you know, let's get Jimmy Rollins on the podcast in, you know, 2027, you know, oh, let's set it up. Okay. I'll send you an email. I'll send it to my email, you know, something like that. Yeah. Like that there's a, but other than that, it's a, it's probably a shorter list. That being said, one of these people, uh, Jose Bautista definitely follows us on Twitter and Twitter. <laughs> Actually, is that true? I haven't checked on the Joey Bats. Well, well, we're going to get there. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll get there. Okay. So again, the way we're going to do this, we're going to first have a show. We're talking about the first timers and we are basically going to organize them between, uh, at least we'll, we'll go from guys. We do not expect to be on the ballot next year. Now, remember the other basic rules of induction here, you can be on the ballot for 10 years. It must be five years since your last major league season before you get on the ballot. You need 75% of the vote to be inducted into the hall of fame. And you need 5% of the vote to stay on the ballot the following year. And so every year there's usually between 25 and 30 names on the ballot. And every year, about 10 of them will get zero votes, you know, and they, they they get on there. You have to have played at least 10 years and then fulfill some sort of, it's kind of unclear the exact requirements to get on the ballot. I know there's a committee that does that. Um, but a lot of times we have a bunch of names that will not be on the ballot next year. And so this is our opportunity to acknowledge them and be like, that's a hell of a career, but we are not going to talk about you in a Hall of Fame context ever again. And so we're going to kind of start with those guys and then work our way up to the ones who we think certainly will stay on the ballot and then have a chance for election either this year or in the future. No better place to start then than Brandon Phillips making his first appearance on the ballot. Phillips played 17 years in the major leagues, 11 of them for the Cincinnati Reds. He was drafted by the Montreal Expos back in 1999 and was included in that wild trade to Cleveland for uh, alongside Cliff Lee and Grady Sizemore that really allowed Cleveland's uh, run of contention from like 2005 to 2008, even though he was in Cincinnati by that 
point. Jordan, Brandon Phillips, career war. Give me a guess. We're going to take turns on this. I'm going to guess. I know. Um, I feel like the D-War was pretty bad, uh, as, even though he was quite um, acrobatic. He delivered a lot of highlights. He was in the category of player that would deliver highlights, but wasn't actually a good defender. Um, to my to my knowledge, I don't think he like won any gold gloves. I'm going to say 24 war for Brandon Phillips. So I'm I'm going to keep track of this, and we can see who's more points off. Okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, also, if you don't know what war is, and you're listening to this, I feel like you do. I don't know if I have we to are going by Baseball war. Reference for I assume. Yeah. yeah, Baseball Reference wins above replacement. The total value uh, wins provided over the course of a season. Uh, Jordan, uh, good guess. The correct answer is 28.4. Okay. You just oh, said okay. 24 so flat. Say that again. You said 24. 24, yes. 28.4. 28, okay. Now, here's the one thing I want to say about Brandon Phillips, which I just remembered and I'm so glad. Because while Brandon Phillips, he, okay, he was in Cincinnati a long time, fan favorite, whatever, um, just really fun, interesting player to watch. I recalled... That a few years ago, Brandon Phillips continued playing well beyond his major league career in independent ball. Okay, he went to Lexington Legends. And I remember a headline that made me laugh more than any headline that I've ever seen, which I have just sent you in the chat, my dear friend. And I would like you to read me the headline of the link I just sent you because it is highly relevant to the discussion that we're having Read me this headline. Read me this press release from the Lexington Legends on May 31st, 2021. Lexington Legends signed future MLB Hall of Famer Brandon Phillips. So, while we are quick to discount his chances, perhaps they are onto something. Perhaps they are looking at his 200 homers and 200 steals, and he did have multiple gold gloves, four gold gloves. What was I talking about? Come on now. Uh... I quote, guess his issue quote, was he quote, didn't really draw any walks. <laughs> and that kind of sunk his overall batting line. Quote, having a future Hall of Famer on the field in the clubhouse and part of the ownership group is great for our entire community and the game of baseball, said Legends president Andy Shea. Future so Hall again, of Famer. Yeah. Amazing. That's amazing. Now, again, um, his issue, I, I, I for, forgive me for completely misrepresenting his defensive reputation. Yeah. But again, 95 career OPS plus, a lot of that was when he was putting up numbers. It was in Cincinnati. And when you park adjusted for that park at that time, it was like like the highest OPS plus he had in any single season was 118. That's usually not going to get you in the mix, even though his counting stats were pretty good. Brandon Phillips, future Hall of Famer, according to the Lexington Legends, but not according to us. Let's move on to Mr. James Shields. James Shields, whose name will ring out in the city of San Diego forever for multiple reasons, but also compiled one hell of a major league career as a starter, big game James himself. This man pitched a whole bunch of innings. He was as durable uh, as it comes for a really, really long uh, stretch of time. Um, now he you know, bounced around a bunch of teams. He was one of the best pitchers on the Rays when they were really coming up and establishing themselves. You know, only made one all-star team, uh, and, and that was that one year in 2011 was, was a spectacular season third in the Cy Young. But when you think of James Shields, we, you, we, we've had some experience with James Shields. One of our favorite pieces of content we ever did was with James Shields. 
But what do you think about him as a career? Because uh, I don't think he's going to the Hall of Fame. Uh, he's more than the guy who was traded for Fernando Tatis Jr. The big game James moniker that was thrust upon him early was kind of unfortunate because from that point forward, he was pretty bad in big games. And so then every time he was underwhelming in a big game, which again, kind of small sample size, everyone online would be like, small game James, right? And that doesn't see. He was one of the coolest cats we ever interacted with, I think, in Major League Baseball. The epitome of chill. Mm-hmm. Elite chill on Mr. Game James. And and he was, I guess there was one injury in his second to last year, but just remarkably durable. I mean, 33 starts in essentially 12 of 13 years or 11 of 12 years. And well, the really unfortunate thing was just kind of the timing of, of him bouncing around is he pitches with the Royals in the World Series in 14, but not 15. So like in my head, I'm like, oh, James Shields was on that. No, no, he wasn't. Um, and so his postseason, his big game experience, yeah, was a little bit limited. But there's a good amount of black ink on here, right? I mean, he in, in innings and in starts um, and then also in, in runs allowed when it wasn't so good. But he was a hell of a – and you mentioned, again, you mentioned, of course, Tatis, traded for Tatis. I mean, duh. Also gives up Bartolo's home run, which, of course, we'll, we'll get to when we talk about Bartolo. But that's two, two things in San Diego baseball history that uh, will live on forever. I will guess 33.8 career war. 30.7 for James Shields. So, All right. Nice work. Again, I, we are going to alternate here. So that's pretty much right in line with my Brandon Phillips mm-hmm. guess. Um, but that's a good that's a good one. But yeah, hey, man, yeah, we uh, we played Fungo Golf with him. I guess if you search Fungo Golf James Shields on Google, I don't think too many other results will, will come up. I hope um, not. <laughs> stealing so our thunder. You could, you could check that out from a few years ago let's move on to victor martinez jake victor martinez this guy was i would say when you talk about the cliche of he you know takes a o2 pitch and lines it up the middle because he's not trying to do too much and then the broadcast says that guy's a professional hitter Mm -hmm. uh that's victor martinez and i know he was also a catcher i know he was a switch hitter I know he was, you know, alongside Miggy, really made those Tigers lineups uh, in a lot of ways what they were beyond Miggy because it was like, holy shit, Miguel Cabrera is one of the greatest players I've ever seen. And we have to deal with Victor Martinez. I remember that feeling a lot uh, watching him, even late in his career. He was he was a hell of a player. 16 seasons, the first chunk with Cleveland, two years in the middle with Boston, and then an impressive run, seven seasons with the Tigers at the end for whom he caught uh, just 31 games over seven years. At that point, Mm. he was almost exclusively swinging the stick. He was no longer squatting of just a great hitter. Like career 118 OPS plus is really impressive. 2014 was a season (laughs) worth remembering. This was Mike Trout, I believe his first MVP um, well, and Martinez is, yeah. finished in second mm-hmm. and Trout deserved to win it. No ifs, ands, or buts. But Martinez slashed 335 batting average, 409 OBP, 565 slug. That's a 974 OPS. A 974 OPS with only 32 homers is very impressive. Mm-hmm. Hitting 335 <laughs> is pretty nuts. Yeah. So he could really rake, man. Uh, a couple fun things about him. So once hit into four double plays in a single game, 
Really? I assume tied for a major league record? Yep. Three ground outs and one line out. Ooh. So it was just meant to be. Uh, for for unfortunately, um, yeah. the Bab of Gods were not especially smiling on Victor that day. I'm sure some of those were hit pretty hard. Yeah, absolutely. And then he was traded from Cleveland to Boston one day before his bobblehead day in Cleveland. Hmm. And so they didn't really have a choice. So they just kind of gave it out, even <laughs> though he had, wasn't there anymore. That's and I good. think the moral of that story is don't schedule a bobblehead day around the trade deadline. Oh, yeah. That's that's just like rookie. I mean, I don't know. I can't remember his exact contract situation, but I mean, come on. that's That feels like an, an avoidable uh, yeah. situation. Um, I'm going to guess, I mean, D, that's a lot of DHing. So like as good as the offensive numbers are, there's no way it can be that high. But I'll, I'll still go with like 30. Oh, it almost seems high. I'll go 36 for Victor Martinez. He hit well for a long time. 36 four is my guess. 32. Is, is correct amount. I was a little little aggressive there, um, but yeah, man. I mean, in terms of just modern switch hitters, I mean, he is uh, he is one hell of a player. And I guess maybe if he caught for longer, you know, maybe he he's was would be revered a little bit more. But that is that is a, a ridiculous stretch. And, and how good he still was, you know, in that age thirty seven season, even um, in twenty sixteen, he was just a fantastic, fantastic hitter. All right, let's move on from Victor Martinez to Jose Reyes. This is, uh, unfortunately, the first one where some off-the-field stuff, uh, most notably a domestic violence suspension at the very, very late end of his career, uh, certainly kind of tarnished, I think, a lot of what was, in the early part of his career, a very beloved player in New York City and with the Mets. And, of course, alongside David Wright, who we're going to you know talk about here in a little bit in a much more positive light. But as far as his on-the-field production, I mean, Jose Reyes, to me, was someone who when I think of, I mean, I guess we'll talk about this with Jimmy Rollins later too, but in terms of speed and in terms of like actual on field, like I am stealing a ridiculous number of bases. And like in the early baseball video games I was playing, I was like, oh yeah, Jose Reyes is the guy. If you want to, if you want to steal bases, you, you, you have Jose Reyes. Um, and as a hitter, like I don't have as much of a recollection of like what his peaks were in terms of OPS plus, like pulling it up now. Like I don't remember, like I'm seeing now, like what do you, what do you think his career high in home runs was in a, in a single season? 13. Yeah, 19, right, in 2006 when he's, you know, he's like on, you know, down ballot, MVP ballots and whatnot. But three straight years, almost four straight years with 60 steals was, is really what I'm, I remember, you know, led the league three straight seasons. And yeah, he was, uh, he was, he was a very unique player in that sense. Do you remember the end of 2011 when he was, I believe, like a point ahead of Ryan Braun for the batting yes. title on the final day of the year? Yes. And he like bunted for a single in his first at bat then asked the manager to pull him so he could keep his batting average up. And then he ended up winning it because Braun went 0 for 4. Yeah, which is like such bull... It's like a bullshit move. However, I I have a little bit more like patience for when you're hitting 337 versus if you're doing it hitting 305. <laughs> so what made it even more of like a story at the time, not that we remember because it was 2011, but uh, it was the 70th anniversary of Ted Williams entering the final day of the season, which was hilariously a doubleheader, mm. with his at, a batting average at 400. Okay, mm. mm-hmm. and he opted to play in both games of the doubleheader <laughs> on the final day of the year, <laughs> right? With and his batting average at like... 400, and because he was Ted fucking Williams, 
he went six for eight and <laughs> pushed his batting average to 406. Yeah. And then Jose Reyes was like, ah, I'm good. I'm, yeah. I'm all right. The other thing, right, at 337, right? It's like, dude, come on. Uh, you can you can win it fair and square. But yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's his batting title. Uh, and before I, I let you get some more, like the other thing when I think of uh, like sec- certainly second half of Jose Reyes' career is just like the one year in Miami, which like that Miami team <laughs> that was assembled quickly and then hastily disassembled is one of the stranger ones we've had uh, in the 21st century, uh, that 2012 Marlins team. Then he goes to you know, Toronto and Colorado. Yeah. And somehow, I can't. I, it's unbelievable that, that he managed to play then three more seasons with the Mets at the end. That is just ridiculous. Uh, it was not good, really, at all at that point. But uh, all right, Jake, guess the war. Well, Jose I, I think I don't want to just blast past us. The off-the-field stuff, 15-16 offseason, domestic violence, um, he, I believe he was not charged. The charges were dismissed because quote, uh, his wife refused to cooperate as a witness. And there are a million reasons why that could be the case and should not just because innocent in the, in the, in the eyes of the law does not mean innocent in the eyes of the world and innocent in the eyes of major league baseball who suspended right. Reyes, uh, I believe for 51 games. Yeah. It was like, I think the rest of that season. And again, like we've talked about this in other cases before, but ultimately, while if you want to lean, instead of pointing so heavily at the, at the law in a lot of cases, like you kind of got to trust the investigation and, and to some degree, the, the punishment levied out, uh, warranted, you know, serious consideration. So that is something of course that, that he's going to, but it's also not one well, where this is not a career that we're going to be talking about in a hall of fame context beyond this year anyway. Right. And it's the type of thing where it's like fun player feel icky celebrating him. Let's yep. guess the war. Uh, so I would imagine that the defense was probably a little bit worse than you'd think, but th- he was really stealing a lot of bags there early on in the career. But I think like after 30, he was not anything significant. So I'm going to guess 39 career war. 37.4. Nice job. Yeah. I mean, peaked uh, around six in that 2006 season. And so, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't that way, but you're right. I mean, yeah, after once he got into his thirties, there was not a lot, not a lot going on for Jose Reyes. Let's move on to another Jose, a much more lovable Jose. And that is Jose Bautista. Jose Bautista has a, when we talk about players again, who really mean something to us, not that we're necessarily Blue Jays fan, but someone who gave us so many memorable moments and his peak kind of peaking with us, you know, really big starting Cespedes Family Barbecue is as Jose Bautista is running shit in the American League. This dude who had bounced between like five different teams before he was 26, 27, 28, and then bam, here he comes dominating baseball with the bat. He was sensational and, of course, has uh, several uh, iconic moments, um, some, you know, involving home runs some involving brawls some involving just i mean joey bats was joey bats it was it was a you know to say it was kind of like a like a shooting star situation is not like no 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 this dude had a five-year peak that was about as good as you could possibly get and i like when you look at you know some of the war metrics that say and i don't have it up now because i know i'm gonna guess but when you when you look at like the the seven best seasons of a, of a hall of a hall of fame candidate's 
just by by war. That gives you a good sense of how good. And if you put Bautista's seven best seasons, he is Hall of Fame worthy. It's just that he didn't really do anything before age 29, and then it fell off pretty hard uh, in the back half of his 30s. But man, that peak was good. Born in the Dominican Republic, drafted out of junior college in Florida, Chipola, which is one of the biggest and best junior college mm-hmm. programs still in the country. So he's taken by the Pirates and then, or sorry, taken, yeah, taken by the Pirates, mm-hmm. ends up on the Orioles, Rays, Royals, ends up back on the Pirates. And for the first like five seasons of his big league career, he's a mediocre utility third baseman. The epitome of a replacement level player, honestly, mm-hmm. is what he is. He has a 1,634 plate appearances with an 89 OPS plus. That's and it's three like, full seasons plus of yeah, just being fine. No one was gonna know who this guy was. He was he was replacement. He was just there. He was a major league player. Nothing more. And then he started leg kicking. He started <laughs> he elevating like opened the up baseball. A little bit. He basically just like found a slightly different timing mechanism and added the leg kick. And with the Blue Jays, it all comes together. And that that vision of that swing and just kind of that silhouette of the leg going up and then the just exploding through the zone and the finish that he had. We saw, I mean, what he had a 50 homer season. We we watched this dude just crank 200 plus home runs over a very short period of time, and it was it was he was the guy. He was he was that dude. He was something else. And then, of course, the bat flip in the 2015 playoffs is, in my opinion, the single best moment of the 21st century in baseball. It is my favorite moment. The energy of it. The entertainment value of it, I think it becomes a opening salvo for the culture shift in the sport that was to come after it, mm-hmm. I think. That, that part I agree with for sure. Joy, yeah. celebration, emotion was it, right? And I think Bautista... It was, it's just the, it's my favorite. I love it. I, I understand their arguments for other plays, whatever. I love this moment so, 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 so much. It earns Bautista. Jordan, do you know there's a species of weevil named after Jose Bautista? I, I didn't know that actually. I, I feel bad that I wasn't prepared in so, that case, but I believe yeah. a Canadian researcher found this weevil. He was a big Blue Jays fan and the weevil was from the Dominican Republic. Hmm. And so he's like, well, it's a Dominican weevil and- I'm from Canada and I love the Blue Jays and Jose Bautista is the man. So it's like called like Weevilless Bautista <laughs> sigh or whatever the fuck. And he, you know, he's you know gotten to represent uh, also Dominican Republic in international competition, even even later, much later in his career, well beyond his peak. Um, but when we're guessing the war here, I don't really again, I know how much it was with those seven seasons defensive value limited like did he get to 40 i think so he must have gotten to 40 i'll say 45 for joe that seems high but i'll stick with it joey bats 45 36.7 damn so how much of that is in seven seasons like 34 of it like i feel like if you looked at like that's i mean so from 2010 to 2015 
he produced 35 career wins. Okay. So it's so literally those the seasons. entirety of his value, more yeah. or less, was during okay. that five year peak because he was putting up uh, some negative numbers at other yeah. points. It career. got it got pretty ugly at the end. I, I and, and, and I guess before too. Yeah. Yeah. But this no, guy's amazing. Bass, Wait, does he still follow us on Twitter? Yes. So that's the other thing. Joey Bats, again. Well, it's probably not him, although at the same time, who cares? It's verified, so it might as well be him, right? Um, million followers still, which is a lot for a baseball player. 821,000 following, um, which seems to be the strategy for whoever is following him, which makes sense. This is only early, early, early baseball Twitter. Like, this was a thing. You would be an account with three followers, and then one of them was Joey, you know, Joey Bats. Joey Bats 19. Is has no no qualms, you know, sauce in the follow. Uh, so he now this account has remained mostly just like ads and whatnot, and him checking in. But he's uh, he's still out there, and and I don't know how anybody uses a Twitter account that follows that many people, but it's still really funny. He oh, awesome. I love. Yeah. I just I love Trey Pats. Let's move on to Adrian Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Adrian Gonzalez, I would say, uh, again, we, we, when we talk about the last few years, we've talked a lot about kind of the Padres and how irrelevant they were for so long. But Adrian Gonzalez was the, was the thing that they had. And it wasn't that long. It was from 06 to, you know, to 2010. But it was like, oh, but, but they, got, they got that guy. Like that guy's one of the best hitters in baseball. And then I remember when he goes to Boston and you think, oh my God, that was one of the great uh, cases of get him out of this park and put him in this park and let him cook. And cook he did, led the league in hits immediately with 213 hits for <laughs> like, again, 213 hits for anybody is is ridiculous, let alone for a first baseman who's also hitting for power, hits 338, you know, finishes, you know, seventh in the MVP. And I just remember how perfectly it went at least initially. And then, you know, he goes to the Dodgers and he kind of descends into a much more very, very good hitter, not necessarily a super duper star. Uh, and then it kind of ended abruptly, but a fantastic career. I don't have too much to, to add to, to Adrian Gonzalez, but just, yeah, I mean, he was one of the best first basemen of his generation. Number one overall pick yep. in which, the 19, uh, sorry, in the 2000 draft, which from is from San Diego, from San Diego and significant Jordan. I mean, he's drafted by the Marlins, but, Significant because he was an amateur first baseman. Like yep. we have not seen an amateur first baseman go number one overall since then. Am I correct? I no, no. I mean, we've had some in the first round, but it is it is not a not a common thing. Um, and for him to be on the Marlins and then get traded a couple times and then end up on the Padres, his hometown team, to kind of be that was was really special. Uh, but that's how special the bat was from from a very very young age. And again, like you look at, you know, look, you look at the top of that first round. I mean, it's a pretty damn good pick. That's, uh, <laughs> I know he didn't end up doing it with the Marlins, but you look at the other guys, I mean, besides Chase Utley um, and Adam Wainwright, who we'll talk about later, no one else really with, with substantial major league careers in that first round. So um, clearly he was exactly what he was supposed to be from a very young age. And he deserves ample credit for that. Five-time all-star, four-time gold glove, two-time silver slugger, but Jake, what is Adrian Gonzalez's career war? Uh, 42.3. 43.5. 43.5. A lot of these are in the same range, and we know 
if it was higher, I mean, the hint that if it was higher is we would be talking about them more seriously. So we know not to guess in the 50s or 60s, but nice work. 43.5. Very, very, very close. Thanks, right, Jordan. Two, I appreciate that. Two more on the they ain't going to be Hall of Famers. I know we're going long here, but I'm having a good time. Me too. Matt Holiday. Mm. Matt Holiday. Matt Holiday, who is now very much back in relevance because both of his uh, sons, he actually might have a third one, but uh, because I his know, genes go hard. <laughs> yeah. Jackson Holiday, number one prospect in baseball. Ethan Holiday, possible number one pick in the 2025 draft. Uh, but Matt Holiday was an absolute baller himself. And when I think Matt Holiday, I, I just I think forearms first and foremost. And I think about a guy who is face is bleeding. That's another thing I think about. Uh, hmm. what, <laughs> what do you think about with Matt Holiday? Legend in two cities. Legitimate franchise icon in two different places, which is relatively rare, both in Colorado and in St. Louis. His run in Colorado, Coors helped, but 2007 when he finished second in the MVP, slashing 340, 407, 607. That's a 1.012 OPS with 50 doubles and 36 home runs and led the league with 216 hits. That's just an amazing Coors season. I absolutely love it. That uh, that year in 2007 was also when the Rockies made the run to the World Series. You had him scoring or not scoring on the play uh, at the plate, which yep. people forget he hit a triple to tie the game just yes. before that. Yeah. And, you know, Matt Holiday, especially earlier in his career, you know, later we think of him as just like this absurdly jacked, you know, a little <laughs> bit less stationary player. But yeah, I mean, this dude could could move uh, earlier in his career in Colorado and yeah, he's dude. It's, he it's stole hell of a 20, 28 bases in two thousand and eight. Yeah. Impossible to fathom when he becomes just kind of the stiff, bulked up corner outfielder that he was in St. Louis. But so, he was one hell of an athlete. Matt Holiday to me is a great piece of evidence that you can look like you took steroids without having taken steroids. Mm -hmm. Like if you if your body is built a certain way and you love the gym, like you can get jacked naturally. Baby. You can just just lift, bro. It's not that just complicated. Just lift, bro. Uh, but yeah, wow. I mean, those those core seasons are sensational. And for him to have a 132 career OPS plus Nuts. is absurd for someone to be in Colorado that long. Because that it's hard to stand out amongst your league when your ballpark is as friendly as it was. Uh, but as you mentioned, you know, to be... You know, there's a few examples of this, but to be beloved in, in two very clear places is uh, is an yeah. achievement, I would say. To be that good for long enough in two different places to, to have that, you know, makes him makes him really special, even if he's not a Hall of Famer. Not a Hall of Famer, but maybe his kids will be. Let's uh, let's have you guess. Uh, I'll go with 40 on the dot for Mr. Holiday. The real question is, would you take over under Jackson plus Ethan War <laughs> for 40? Uh, if we could combine them together. But 40 is my guess for their father. Uh, Matt finished with 44.5. So you're off by 4.5. Let's move on mm -hmm. to a similarly jacked individual, <laughs> Bartolo Colon. Mm. Bartolo Colon is 100 things at the same time. Yeah. That is that's that's definitely one way to put it. When you have a career as long as you do, when you are still finding places to pitch 
uh, when you are deep into your 40s, approaching your 50s, when you have become lovable for reasons that are both obvious and kind of weird, and also you have a, you know, <laughs> your name's Bartolo Colon and you hit one home run one time. Like there's yeah. so many things, it's really hard to even wrap your mind around it. But the point that I would say is like, I think that the younger generation, because he's stuck around and become so popular and has his, his late career has established him as just like one of these weird online faces of baseball, that like at MLB loves to reference whenever they can. This dude won a Cy Young in 2005. Like, I don't even know if that is even one of the first things you mention about Bartolo Colon anymore. Oh, yeah. I mean, let me say this, though. Most people on the planet have more families than Cy Youngs. <laughs> and usually it's one family and no Cy Youngs. Bartolo is a different case. He's two families and one Cy Young. I mean, based on the reporting of this, when this came out in like 2016, at least two. I mean, it seems like they, they, then. So in that sense, you know, this is that, and this is the category of off the field stuff that is both like concerning. <laughs> I don't know what to do with not it. Not our business, right? Like this isn't like it seems like there were some child support issues for for kids that were not the ones that his wife thought that he had. All these things, messy. It's messy stuff, right? You know, if there's not crimes involved, I'm going to say that is not my problem, even if it's a bad look. <laughs> but it's part of the story because with Bartolo, there's always another thing to be like, wait, that happened? Wait, he was suspended for PEDs and nobody gave a shit? And then he came back and pitched for like 10 more seasons and there was no trouble whatsoever? Like, there's all these different things that just happened above his career. You're just like, how is this guy still being kind of promoted as this like face of the league? And it's like, because he's big and funny. It's kind of that simple. He, Bartolo being chubby was the best thing that ever happened to him at the end of his career. And we should, I mean, I don't want to do that now. Unpack the layers of why we thought he was so funny just because he was a little gordito on the mound, right? Now, he was also like, the fact that he had a home run, I'll never forget where I was when that happened. Just an all-time millennial baseball moment the back the flip to first that behind his back the no look oh yeah well he's but here's the thing about the home run like yeah like when you play it in slow motion and you look at him because he's kind of funny looking like that's what makes it but also he was like historically horrible as a hitter right even for a pitcher the notion that this guy could hit the ball out of the infield let alone over the fence was impossible to fathom and so when he does it at age 43, you, your, your mind is blown and it is a singular moment that we've had in you know the 21st century in baseball. But it is still a, a, a kind of a, a – I mean, the fact that this guy also pitched for, what, 10 different teams, 11 different teams in the majors, none longer than the six he began Cleveland with, right? Um, it's, it's a ridiculous career. Over 3,000 innings, over 550 starts – you know, pitching this, I mean, I, I didn't even like, I, I remember that he finished with the Rangers and it was like, oh my God, he's still going 146 innings for the 2018 Rangers is, is laughable. And so that on and of itself, there's just so many different things. And because of that, you know, the, the war compilation is pretty substantial here, even if the peak wasn't as, as great as we might think. Does he get any war for pitching in Dubai? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, but 
He probably should. I mean, he worked for that, man. That's a long flight. I'll say 52.5. That would have been a much better guess if he didn't hang on and pitch with the Braves, Twins, and Rangers at the end. 48.2. But that negative 2.1 in 2017. Negative (laughs) 2.1? Yeah. Negative 2.1. Uh, in 2017, I mean, yeah, he had a 6480 ERA. Like that was the thing about the Rangers season. It was like, how is we? How are we bringing this guy back again? How is this happening? Um, and so that there's so many, so many levels. And uh, and here's the thing, man. He's he ain't going anywhere. Like this dude's gonna just keep showing up. Uh, at NLB is gonna keep tweeting about him whenever they have the opportunity, uh, for better or for worse. So that is Bartolo Colon, who, by the way, we should note has already received one Hall of Fame vote. Um, within the first you know, 20 or so public ones that have been released. So don't expect him to get to 5%, but maybe I will be surprised. All right, Jake, those are the guys that aren't making the Hall of Fame. That's a lot of words for people that aren't going to make the Hall of Fame. Let's talk yeah, about too some much. guys that might. Let's take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll chat about David Wright, Chase Utley, and a couple other folks. Hey, everyone. Producer Chris here with a brand new housekeeping note about our merch. Basically, we have a bunch of new stuff. So if you've been looking for a baseball barbercast themed beanie or bucket hat, or even a t-shirt with one of those cool pockets on the chest, well, you can stop looking and start buying because they're all available right now, just in time for winter. Just go to podswag.com slash baseball and don't leave yourself clothesless this winter. That's P-O-D-S-W-A-G dot com slash baseball. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast, Jake Vince, Jordan Schusterman. Let's talk about people who could be in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. There are four players on the ballot, first-timers, who we think have something resembling a chance. And we will begin with David Wright. David Wright is, uh, I would say, when I think of... <laughs> it's funny, because growing up in D.C., like we had Ryan Zimmerman. But I remember always thinking, like, him... It was like, oh, Ryan Zimmerman, but he's he's no David Wright, you know, up there with the bets. I mean, that's the real the real gold standard here for this the face of the franchise here in this division. Like, oh, if only Ryan Zimmerman wishes he could be as good as David Wright. And while it ended up actually being a little bit closer than you might assume, David Wright was was beloved for a lot of reasons. For him to be also a, a power speed guy, um, to be a stellar defender, to be one of the best hitters in the league. And then it just, his body said no mas. And it's one of the kind of the sadder kind of ends to his career. And and the I just remember just the reporting about like the amount of pain he was in towards the end to still keep going. Uh, that's what cut it short. And that's what made his Hall of Fame case challenging at the very least. But man, was it a hell of a run. Uh, he was everything they could have possibly hoped for him to be. I really love longevity. When it comes to Hall of Fame stuff, I think that's super important. I think being relevant in the memories of different generations of fans is an example of why a player should be enshrined in Cooperstown. And David Wright doesn't really have that. And that's a bummer. Now, that's not his fault. His body fell apart. But we also have to judge him based upon what he did. I think he's very interesting to compare to Chase Utley, who we're going to talk about in a second, because Utley has the last couple years of being mediocre. 
Wright's peak was longer and not as good as Utley's. And I don't know if that's more deserving or less deserving. And they, they, I would say their importance to their respective franchises equal out, right? Um, I, I, and I made you know the comparison. And there are a couple others like this, but it's stark when you see someone with one franchise the whole time who's beloved but didn't do anything after thirty, and now think about Felix, right? And you know, Felix, Felix Fernandez will be on the ballot uh, at some point in the next few years, and he will be a, a different case. And you could certainly argue his peak for his. Craft was higher than Wright's was as a position player, but in terms of you know one place, one team, and then it just all went to shit. Now I would say that in Felix's case, you could maybe blame him a little bit more than you can in Wright's case uh, for it kind of falling off a cliff. But it's still ultimately when you're judging the end of the career and the, and the final results and the final tally of what they accomplished. In that sense, there are definitely some similarities. I think Felix has a better chance of getting in than David Wright. But it just sucks because ultimately, there were definitely times when you watch David Wright and you're like, yeah, that's a future Hall of Famer. But ultimately, longevity is usually what gets you there. He was never the best player in baseball at any point. Now, that's not enough of a bar. like, But Felix was the best pitcher in the world yeah. at points in his mm-hmm. career. Wright was never that. He yeah. maybe, you could say, was the best third baseman in baseball. But that's he was a, certainly, and yeah, it was, it was he a top 10 guy? I mean, he finished fourth in MVP. I think what stands out to me kind of looking back is that 2013 season, the fact that his highest, and it was in a slightly smaller sample size, the fact that his highest OPS plus came in age 30 before it all started crashing Oh, he down. wasn't cooked from like, a, you know, uh, like he was still seeing the baseball. His yeah. body just could not move correctly anymore. Yep, yep. And that is is certainly certainly tragic. But yeah, you know, 50... 50 career war, we're not going to guess anymore, but right at 50, which really puts him in the conversation, but it is going to be, you know, challenging, I think. I, I mean, so far, he's he's gotten a couple votes. I I can imagine him sticking on the ballot, but it's going to yeah. be a pretty long climb. Let's just, before we go, his final game. Hmm. We were there. Wow. Oh, my gosh. We were there. I I completely forgot about that. Yeah, 2018. He played two games? I have no recollection of him playing two games. I believe he came in as like a pinch runner or a, like there was some sort of other. I don't think he actually. I guess he did. He hit in two different games. Yeah. Yeah. So did we go to the first game or the second? We went game? to the second I, game. So he he pinch hit and had one plate appearance on September 28th and then started on September 29th. We were at the September 29th game, which is the game where he walked in uh, his first plate appearance, I believe, and then in the final plate appearance of his career, popped out to Peter O'Brien in foul territory, and Peter O'Brien was booed for not dropping the pop-up. Right. Um, man, yeah, I remember this. That's you remember who we went with? I don't. So now I feel like an asshole. Who Shouts out with? to friend of the program, Scott Rogowski. Oh, <laughs> We did go with Scott Rogowski, who, and of course, that meant way more to him than it did <laughs> to me, right? So the fact that we were at David Wright Day, that's true. But I, I will always remember Pete O'Brien uh, getting booed just absolutely mercilessly. So David Wright, we salute you. I know he means a lot to a lot of Mets fans. Still a very popular character in Mets world. But now let's talk about someone that's a little bit less popular in Mets world. <laughs> and that is Chase Utley. 
Chase Utley, Chase Utley. Okay, so Chase Utley was, again, we David Wright, like he has the send-off, very sad. Okay, that's the end. This dude played in the 2017 World Series. This dude played in 2018. I have fresh memories of Chase Utley still being a character in the baseball universe. We certainly know for one reason that involved sliding into one Ruben Tejada. But let's start at the beginning because the reason we're talking about him here on the Hall of Fame ballot in this part of the conversation is that the dude was an absolute baller with the Philadelphia Phillies. He was a both a defensive, one of the best defensive second basemen in the league by far, and then also just an, an OBP machine and an absolute pain in the ass to pitch to because he was leading the league and hit by pitches basically every single season. And the dude absolutely raked. I mean, we're, we're looking at, you know, 70 extra base hits for multiple seasons in a row. He's driving in runs. He could steal bases. Just an extremely well-rounded ball player who was just an absolute pain in the ass to play against. Outrageous peak from age 26 to age 31. 54 wins above replacement. And for a player who debuted, he didn't have a, a full season until he was 26, right? Mm-hmm. That's that he got to where he did from a war perspective. His career war was 64.5. Very impressive for Chase. Yeah, I mean, the, again, the, he's putting up two, three and a half D war, which is you just do not see, let alone for someone who's also Correct. like an all star level hitter. And that's how you get to nine, a nine war right. season in 08. Now, this is an important distinction I think is worth talking about. And it, it is relevant to Bobby Abreu, another Phillies guy. If you are an awesome OBP dude. I want you on my ball club. You don't stand out in my memory in unless you're Juan Soto or Joey Votto. Mm-hmm. And maybe mm-hmm. that is a reflection of me not really getting to watch at least peak and I'm 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 willing to have that conversation and mm-hmm. I I know there are Phillies fans listening and be like, "Oh, it's the same kind of thing." Maybe it was, right? But I think there is something about the amazing batting eye that is like less visceral and harder to appreciate than big home run go boom. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't, I agree with that. I mean, for him, it wasn't really necessarily, it was a combination. He was hitting for high average. He was walking a good amount and then he was getting hit by a ton of pitches. And so it was just an extremely well-rounded skill set. Like it was the kind of guy that again, was a pain in the ass to play with, but then he was also one of the most talented players in the field. So it wasn't just like, a, oh, he gets the most out of his average tools. Like, no, he was exceptionally good at hitting for power. Is perfect for the ballpark, of course. And for those Phillies teams, I mean, we'll talk about Jimmy Rollins a little bit later. And of course, you know, Ryan Howard, we had the conversation with him on the ballot last year, I believe, um, or recently, talking about him as a, as a Hall of Famer. Um have, am I crazy? Didn't we? I, I feel like we've we've talked about Ryan Howard on, on a Hall of Fame ballot at some point, and, th- and then he wasn't on it anymore. But uh, Utley was was <laughs> the one you would detest the most as an opposing fan and player. I think that was true at the time, let alone what happens later on with the Dodgers. Uh, but he was, I mean, he was the man. He was he's obviously he was that dude uh, in Philadelphia for a long time. My issue is I don't. There's not enough longevity for me, and that's probably why I wouldn't vote for him. Yes, the peak was incredible. I mean, 05 to 13, age 26 to 34 was great. But he doesn't have great years before that. He's pretty bad after that. And so the career numbers are not there. I mean, 1,885 hits is not close. 64 career wins is. 117 OPS plus is not. 
for me, 259 home runs. He just doesn't clear a couple of barriers. I don't think he uh, is going to get in this year. I think he has a decent chance over the long run, the long yeah, haul. I think see. it's a more he's got, alluring. So he's already gotten 12 votes, which means, you know, so far in the early going, like he is absolutely going to be in the mix here yeah. moving forward. So it's just because, yeah, I mean, the the war at 64 war is a, is a lot. And I think if you compare him to, you know, other second basemen, like that's, that's right there. So that's, that's why he is going to, he's going to kind of hang around. Um, and you could argue that the top level was, was deserving of it, but for us, it's, it's a little bit, uh, a tick below. Now let's get to the two that we feel a little bit better about is future hall of famers, Jake, not Brandon Phillips. I would, I would have much more comfort putting these guys in a headline saying future hall of famer. And that is Joe Maurer. And that is Adrian Beltre. Let's start with Joe Maurer. Um, I would say that Joe Maurer, he, it, it was very clear to me, even though it's not like I was locked in on Twins games during his peak, understanding he was before, I know we had other good, good hitting catchers, but it was like, holy shit, he's this good of a hitter and he's a catcher. Like the concept of that for me hit and really ingrained itself in my brain with Joe Maurer. And when we talk about just 80 grade hit tool, not just good for a catcher, he was one of the best hitters in baseball as a catcher. And yes, because of the injuries, because of the concussions, he was not catching that deep into his career. But when he was, and when he was, you know, hitting 300 with regularity, that's just not something you see. It's just not something you see. And for his career to go for, I mean, it was, it's essentially a fairy tale, right? The dude is yeah. the, the hometown star. He goes to the Twins, you know, at the top of the draft, and then he has this career. The only sad, the only part that sucks is he did, didn't, you know, win a playoff game, right? Uh, or doesn't doesn't ever, you know, have much playoff success at all. But beyond that, it was it was the perfect career. It was it was a very, in a lot of senses. Um, and I think that while we can get to, you know, Mike Petriel tweeted about this recently, you know, maybe it's not as of an automatic lock of a case as some people are making out to be. I think maybe he doesn't get in this year, but I think that that Joe Maurer is, is beloved for all the right reasons, and and I think he is going to get in someday. I think our expectations for what a catcher is is going to change as we move forward. You can look at the career 55.2 war and say that's not enough, and I think that's a little overly simplistic when it comes to a catcher because their careers are simply shorter because it hurts. It's very painful being a catcher. It takes a toll on your body. And like I have this belief that JT Real Muto would be a top ten hitter in the world if he played left field. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but this is the thing about Maurer. He was a top ten hitter in the world while he was catching. And yeah. we really don't have any catchers. I guess JT's had like stretches. He's had like a couple months stretches where it's like, wow, like he's been one of the best hitters in baseball for over this two stretch this stretch. But I would say, you know, I, I think we've talked about the, the concept of like, if we're just picking our favorite individual seasons statistically, not to mention, you know, what, what it actually was like watching them. Like Joe Maurer in 2009 is one that you would pick very early. Uh, for to hit 365 with 28 home runs is in only 138 games in a season in which he caught 139 times. That is a season for the ages. It is, it is a season... That is so incomprehensible now um, on so many levels. 
it is one that will stand out forever. And I think that season will be like if I, I think that season will be a huge reason why he ends up in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not sure how often you can say that about a, a single, single, single season. But I really do think that if that season was just another repeat of the one he had before, even with another batting title, I think it would be different. But that kind of peak, even in one season, is so, 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 so special. Let's move on to Adrian Beltre, who is as locked as my front door. Uh, I would say actually more locked than your front door. I would say it is more likely that someone could get through your front door See, than Adrian Beltre. Yes, not, uh, <laughs> yes, into but the Hall of Fame. my front door was locked from the inside this weekend, and I had to call my uh, super to come break me out. Okay, well, that's that sounds like a you problem, uh, and a and a piece of context that the listeners didn't know until you shared. <laughs> so, uh, but I, but yeah, I that, listen. This is this is one where it's so funny because we've had some of these recently where it's like, yeah, okay, first ballot, great, and yet he's not going to get a hundred percent, which is funny because that's just how the stupid process works. We are, we've reserved 100% for, I guess, Mariano Rivera, and that's it. But that's the thing. Like, what the hell could you possibly else want from this, this player? He has everything. He has longevity. He has the peak. He's beloved in multiple places. And also, the, the number, not just the, the, the counting numbers, but, I mean, the fact that he was as good as he was defensively. Again, we talk about balancing of, of offense and defense. We just saw Scott Rowland get into the Hall of Fame. This, that dude looks like a, a freaking double A player compared. This is disrespectful, but when you compare Scott Rowland, who was known for you know both sides of the ball, it wasn't even close to what Adrian Beltre was, and that is really what makes it. I think the 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 back to back years of Rowland and then Beltre will really make Beltre look even better. Dude, ninety three career wins is crazy, and when we talk about spanning generations, right? I mean, this guy was yes. outstanding. He was a very good player in the year 2000. Okay, Now, he was able to start his career at such a young age that the longevity hits. I mean, 21 seasons, 21 seasons is why he gets to 477 career home runs. That's yeah. why he gets to 3,166 hits. But he did do it. And I am a huge believer, as I've said, in having the full run over the course of multiple decades. That 2004 season where he finishes second in the MVP, 40 at home runs right behind Bonds, that's great. One of the best defensive third basements into his 30s, right? We don't have guys maintaining that level of defensive skill that deep as they age. And I think that's what separates him and makes him such a lock as a Hall of Famer. He will go in with a Rangers hat on, I'm sure, which is awesome considering he did not start there until he was 32. We think about guys signing like free agent contracts, right? At the age of 32. And it's like, I guess they're going to go in as that. And they never do. Like they usually, they're not good anymore. He is the example of this working out. He is one of the greatest third basemen in the history of the sport. Very fun, loving player to watch. Remember when he moved the, the on-deck circle and got ejected? We had him and Elvis Andrews uh, tapping, you know, tapping his head. Felix. And Felix, and then there was, you know, getting to see him hold the World Series trophy that the Rangers won this past October was very, very cool. Yeah, and, you know, his peak, the 48 homers with the Dodgers in 04, 
Second in the MVP, the bad news is that there is that Barry Bonds guy with a 609 OBP oh, playing yeah, for the yeah. Giants. And even still, Beltre got first place votes in that season because his OPS was over 1,000. He was playing third base. It was 9.6 war. So like that peak combined with how good he was, how reliable he was, how healthy he was at the end, second most war of any Dominican-born player behind only Albert Pujols, that's a huge fucking deal and is why he will be in on the first ballot. Jordan, let's take a quick break. And when we get back, we are going to speed run through the rest of this because we have been talking for too long. And again, like we'll be back in a sec, but like if you want to go back and listen to our That's thoughts on the people we're about to talk about, you can go do that. I'll get the, uh, I'll get the timestamp on last year's podcast where we went a little bit more in depth on the players that have already been on the ballot, but I'd rather spend more time on the guys that are here for the first time. So I'm glad we did that, but let's take that quick break. And when we return, we will review the rest of the ballot who we think has a chance of getting into the hall of fame this year. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast, Jake, Vince, Jordan, Schusterman. Let's just speed run through some of these. Omar Vizquel, great defense, horrible human being. Go look up some of the immoral and uh, abhorrent things that he has done off the field. Uh, we will move on from that. Andy Pettit, he was a Yankee. If he was a Red or a Brewer, he would not be on the ballot still. The numbers are not quite <laughs> there for me. Well, yeah, because in that case... He wouldn't have amassed like a full season's worth of postseason innings. Which like, is Andy impressive. Pettit's postseason game log is one of the more staggering parts of baseballreference.com, truly. Yeah. And I, I we know why, but I would encourage people to check that out. And by the way, these are all players that are still on the ballot. They've sustained, so they've gotten enough support to stay on, but Correct. we don't anticipate them getting to a point of induction. Bobby Abreu, stat heads, love him. I would consider myself a stat-oriented guy. I just... I'm just not compelled. It, I don't get the fizz in my heart. I don't get the, the the fanny flutters, as they say on Love Island, when it comes to Bobby Abreu. And sometimes it's that simple. Simple like that boy, not nice enough. Yeah, I'm a little bit more in in uh, in Team Bobby in this case, not like passionately so, but he's on the ballot for. I guess this is the his fifth year on. Like I could imagine in a couple of years if he's still hanging around, like me just waking up one winter and being like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going full Bobby Abreu, but not yet. Who's next? <laughs> Jimmy Rollins. Oh man. This is another one that I was like mildly surprised. He stayed on the ballot, but also pleasantly surprised. He was uh, not again, a good hitter. He was not a good enough hitter. He was never a, a great hitter. 2007, 30 home runs, 20 triples, 38 doubles is an amazing. Yeah, I was going to say, if we're picking individual stat lines, 07 Rollins amazing. is absolutely up there. MVP. Um, and MVP. But you're right. Yeah, again, like we said, 95 OPS plus, that is not going to get it done as cool as, you know, nearly 500 steals and 500 doubles and 200 homers. Is. Mark Burley, bulk lord. I've thought about voting for him. Uh, he, t the epitome of 200 innings, but the rest of the career is not there yeah my the thing i've always said about mark burley is just put the careers side by side with jack morris and then let's have a conversation i know he didn't pitch one of the greatest games of all time but he did have a perfect game <laughs> so i i feel like mark burley uh is not gonna get in the hall of fame but it's a sneaky nice case tory hunter is a worse version of andrew jones we'll talk about in a second i just wanted to say what would mark burley with the pitch clock be like Oh my God, don't even. The same. <laughs> uh, actually, 
Tori Hunter, like really, really amazing career. Uh, 110 OPS plus. I would vote for him over a number of the other guys we've already talked about. One of the most iconic center field defenders of his generation. Yeah. MVP votes, gold gloves, all stars, the whole nine yards. Yeah. Nine time gold glover. And like, if you, you know, line up his, I know he wasn't a center fielder for the whole time, but if you look at most of the time spent in center field and just like counting stats, He's like top seven or eight all time. He's got more extra base hits than Joe DiMaggio. Okay. Like this dude did it for a while. So yeah. I, yeah, I mean, again, I wouldn't vote for him, but I, he did hang on the ballot and I was surprised that he did, but he'll be on for another year. Oh, I think Tory Hunter deserves to be on the ballot the whole time. Mm-hmm. Now I don't, he's going to, I don't, close. Wanna, you know I don't want to vote for him, but I hope other people do. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So those are the guys who we think are not really even that much of a conversation. Let's get, the obvious ones out of the way, uh, PEDs, A-Rod and Manny. If you care about PEDs, then you won't vote for them because they both tested positive after they were not allowed to do the drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't give a crap, then you will vote for them because their career numbers are insane. Mm-hmm. I tend to fall on the latter side. I think all the PEDs are a part of baseball history, even if it was during like the era when... You know, I, I don't necessarily think it it should mean that players don't get to go in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Aaron and Manny were both incredible. I want them in my and I want them in my Hall of Fame, so I will vote for them. Yeah, I mean, they are in the category of they broke rules, which the guys that did it allegedly uh, before them uh, didn't necessarily break rules and get punished for it, right? But that is why you have Aaron and Manny stuck together in the way that Bonds and Clemens were. These guys are going to get a lot of the same amount of votes. And so far, that's only been about between 30 and, and 40%. Um, they're going to have to take a, some serious jumps if they have any hope of getting uh, into the Hall of Fame. Let's talk about relievers. Mm-hmm. Billy Wagner and K-Rod, Francisco Rodriguez. I made the Billy Wagner argument last year. I think he is the fourth or fifth greatest closer or uh, reliever of all time. Insane amounts of dominance really throughout his entire career. As a 38-year-old in 2010, he had a 1-4-3 ERA in 69 innings and was like, I want to go be a dad and coach high school baseball. And so he bounced. Love Billy Wagner. He's a shoe-in for me. Francisco Rodriguez is a slightly more difficult conversation, but I am inclined to vote for him because I love relievers. I mean, we're talking peak. Uh, He's one of the best relievers ever. He's one of the best relievers of his generation. Did not have longevity. He did get to 400 saves. And if we are going to vote for relievers, I think he has to be seriously considered. Um, I think K-Rod is a really, really interesting one. And I'm glad to see him stay on the ballot so that we can kind of keep discussing him. Wagner is one of the biggest stories this year. He is in the ninth year uh, on the ballot. He So it's not his last chance, but he's at 68. He was at 68% support last year. And once you get to that point, it's only a matter of time. The question is, will it happen this year? Or will it happen next year? So I, I think it, I could envision this ending up being a just, just near miss, and then he'll be a lock um, in 2025. But he, he, he will, he will get there, and it will be, it will be glorious for uh, those of us who love Division Three baseball. Shouts out Ferrum College. Um, so yeah, my favorite story I think I ever wrote was about Billy Wagner. I encourage everyone to go read that. Okay, let's do this next group: Black Ink, Red Flags. Andrew Jones, Gary Sheffield, Carlos Beltran. 
I'm putting Sheffield on my ballot. I don't know if I did last year. I The offensive numbers are just so overwhelming. The longevity is incredible. He was so fucking bad <laughs> defensively that it torpedoes some of his war numbers. But he had a career 140 OPS plus. And if he hadn't spent practically his entire career in the National League in an era where there was no DH, he would have just been a designated hitter at an earlier age and we wouldn't have it wouldn't be a problem. Um, I am pretty sure he has the most negative war in baseball history at minus 27.7. But to your point, it listen, again, he he's got the steroid suspicions. He's the other problem with him is who's no, standing up for him. I don't believe he does. There's okay, no well, steroid suspension. His no, steroid, su- no suspension. There are no suspension his, for a lot of these guys. Suspicion no, and suspension are very different. Well, his suspicion is is a different story. I recommend reading Jay Jaffe's uh, thing on it over at Fangraphs. Basically, like he has the most legitimate. They gave me a bottle of goop and I rubbed it on my legs and I didn't know what it was mm-hmm. because when he was asked about it, Sheffield was like, "Yes." He's like one of the only players who, like, not in a court, was like, "Yeah, I did that." Mm-hmm. You know, and um, so but his is worth. But again, like a how he got it out, I, I don't care. And I think that the numbers are overwhelming to the point where I don't care. His other issue is like, what team is standing up and and caping for Gary Sheffield when he didn't spend longer than you know six years in any mostly three or four years at any place. Um, and I actually am curious about that. I don't know if, if the, how you know public the Marlins have been in their support for his candidacy. But the most important thing with him is this is his last year on the ballot, and he has reached a level at fifty five percent where a few years ago it's like okay maybe he has a chance. Is he going to jump 20% in this final season? I don't think so. I think he's more likely to end up on a veterans uh, committee ballot at some point. And if he gets the right combination of, you know, voters on that committee, I could see him getting into the Hall of Fame. Uh, but as of now, I don't think it's happening this year. Even though, yeah, I mean, it, it is. Ne- I've never been disappointed you know reviewing his offensive track record it it is a truly staggering uh, combination of skills carlos beltran he is on my ballot i don't care about the can banging stuff at the end just whatever important notable part of history part of baseball history part of his legacy doesn't overwhelm the fact that he was one of the best players of his generation now he does not have an mvp and i don't know if he was ever the best player in baseball However, from 1998 to 2017, 20 years, he was a fixture in our sport and was one of the best power speed threats we have ever seen. One of eight players ever with at least 300 steals and 300 home runs. He has 435 career steals, 312 career home runs. Uh, And one of the best postseason hitters we've ever seen. And I don't think, I actually am totally fine uh, rewarding. I don't. I'd rather reward guys who did it than punish guys who didn't, I think. And Beltran is just a absurd. Again, in a way with Pettit, but like he did it with five, six different teams. And a thousand career OPS in the postseason in 256 plate appearances is just ludicrous. That is such a, a ridiculous amount. Like this isn't even a, a, a commentary on clutch. Like I don't care. That is an amazing thing that deserves not like he doesn't even need that 
to have a good argument to get into the Hall of Fame. But that does make it a very easy pick for me. Um, not to mention he's also one of the best switch hitters of all time. He is, I would say, it, of his of you know certainly of the last fifty years, it's it's him and it's Chipper. Um, you know, Tim Raines is in there, Lance Berkman's in there. Uh, but he's, that is also, uh, something that he has. And, and it is, it is a, I, I am, I'm very strong on Beltron. I, I totally agree with that. Uh, Andrew Jones, I go back and forth with him. There are off the field issues with Jones. I also don't think that the, the he did it for long enough yeah. after age 29, he was basically ass for the rest of his career and gained weight and was no longer the same level of athlete and center field that he was before. But holy crap, at his peak, one of the most unbelievable center field def defenders ever. 2005, he had 51 home runs and finished second in the MVP. Mm -hmm. Would you put him on your ballot, Jordan? I've gone back and forth with him. Um, I know he's, again, like I, I usually lean towards the peak as as the final uh, the, the thing that, that gets me. But I have kind of found myself leaning more in the longevity camp. Um, so I... He's right. He's been a coin flip for me generally, but also like there's some guys like him that I don't even like remember over the years since we haven't officially, you know, logged a ballot and we can give it to here in a second that I I've gone back and forth so many times that I I'm not even sure where I landed last year or the year before. So yeah. I think right now I'm leaning no, because again, I find myself more tied towards longevity uh, as, as this goes on. But he's he's right there. I mean, the peak is is pretty undeniable, and and also all three of these guys, you know, over already forty six and a half percent voting. Jones, I think, up to fifty eight percent as of last season. So you know, they're they're going to have a chance here uh, to get in. Although I wouldn't expect any of them getting in this season. All righty, Todd Helton. Um, your you again. You wrote the the great case for for Billy Wagner. I wrote one for Todd Helton that was. More making just the, the statistical argument with the, the basic premise of, yes, he was in cores and the standard should be higher for those in cores. And I believe Todd Helton cleared those with relative ease. And just because he was not a Hall of Famer because he was in Coors Field, he was a Hall of Famer who happened to play in Coors Field. And I think that what he was able to do for as long as he was in one place, what he means to that franchise is is more than overwhelming enough. So if you want to go read our, our full cases, Billy Wagner and Todd Helton, because Todd Helton's definitely getting in this year. Uh, and so we will be talking about him a lot more in January. So I'll kind of save it that. But if you want to see, you could just Google, you know, Fox Sports, Jordan Schuster and Todd Helton, and you will see my thoughts on that. Here are the eight names on my ballot. Two first timers, Joe Maurer, Adrian Beltre, Todd Helton, Billy Wagner, Francisco Rodriguez, Alex Rodriguez, Manny Ramirez, and Carlos Beltran. That's my I, Oh, sorry. And Gary Sheffield. Yes. Okay. I am going to go right. So if you if we assume uh, a limit of 10, um, you went with those were nine. your eight? Nine. 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 Okay. I think I have the same. Maurer, Beltre, Helton, Wagner, K-Rod, A-Rod, Manny, Beltran, Sheffield. I think I'm I think I'm right there. I think we are in total total agreement. Uh and Lockstep. you know what though? Since I got that extra spot, let's get this party started. Bobby Abreu, you have my 10th vote, and we will push that conversation to another year. Jake Mint. What was the last thing yeah. you wanted to say about the BBWAA? Yes. So, as you mentioned, we joined the BBWAA this past season. It was our first full season as members of the Baseball Writers Association of America. And if you are a member in good standing, which we know Jake Mintz is. 
<laughs> for 10 seasons. Dues paying. <laughs> Dues paying. For 10 seasons, that means you get a Hall of Fame vote. Which means, Jake Mintz, if we can keep it up, good Ooh. luck to us. Who knows? We will be receiving a Hall of Fame vote after the 2032 season. Okay. Now, I bring that up to say, just to start speculating about, just I just want to, let's just get ahead of this here, okay? Even though this is a totally laughable exercise. I did a little, just a mild projection about some players. First of all, this is going into the 2033 season, the way that we're currently going into the 2034 se- or 2024 season. Uh, Tatis and Julio will still be under contract, so that's funny. They'll still Incredible. be chilling. Um, <laughs> Harper, if Bryce Harper doesn't sign an extension, 2032 will be the last year of his deal. So, But he wouldn't be on the ballot, right? So I had to think about it. Okay, who could be first-timers on the ballot with us? That means they're retiring in what year? That means that their final season, if I did these calculations right, that their final season was would be 2027, okay? And I came up with just a handful. Again, these are these. there's no perfect way to do this for a lot of obvious reasons. Guys hang on at the end and play one to five games, and then that cooks their clock back an extra year. Here are the names I came up with. There's one that stands out a lot. Paul Goldschmidt. Bingo. He is the num- He's the first one that came to mind as someone. Now, his contract situation is, is unclear. Um, Nolan Arenado is another one where if he does not play beyond his current contract, he would also be one that I believe would be finishing in 2027. Now, it seems unlikely, but again, 2077 is both not that long from now and also a long time for an aging 30-year-old in, in guy in their 30s. Freddie Freeman? Freeman, I think I assumed would be playing later than 2027, but that's a, a fair... A fair one. The other, the most fun one that I thought of, or maybe it's not fun, is DeGrom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, it, do you think DeGrom will pitch? Like that is, you, you see what I'm trying to measure yeah, there. Yeah, it's yeah. like, it's hard to imagine him pitching too late. And I think that's the last year of his contract. What so, about uh, Giancarlo? Giancarlo's one that if the injuries just win, then yes. Giancarlo, I think that is maybe the last year there. Um, the saddest one is Mike Trout. I didn't even want to broach that, but yes. Uh, and then, like, if Altuve like falls off hard, uh, just because of his age, maybe conceivably. Although I, I super duper doubt it. So those are the guys that, again, like, very interesting. Could we could imagine is on the first ballot, and then the other guys. Then it's like thinking about who could still be on the ballot, and then we're talking about like Joey Votto. Like I imagine he'll be in by then, but Votto. Longoria, probably not. He'll be in the conversation. Like, guys like that. So. I... Kershaw? <laughs> but I think Kershaw's another one where he would be in by now. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like, he's gonna... I'm assuming he's done in the next two years. He gets on. He's gonna be a Hall of Famer before we're voting. That's my That's my thinking. So there's a couple guys like that where it's... I, I don't consider it. Like, Miggy, obviously, right? Versions like that. Um, and I hope Votto is too, but we just don't know how much longer he's going. So just, just something to put in mind, throw it on your calendar, 2033, yeah. uh, January 2033, we will be voting, hopefully. Or See you there. We'll be voting or dead. <laughs> Those are the only two options. Uh, that's it. Vote that's or die. <laughs> Vote or die, exactly. Uh, thank you all for listening to this lengthy Christmas special Hall of Fame edition if you want even more Hall of Fame chat, more specifically on some of those other guys, January 19th 
was the uh, we're doing we're recording this on December nineteenth, but January nineteenth, twenty twenty three was the episode when we went even deeper on some of these players that have already been on the ballot for a few years. So if you want more Hall of Fame chat after all that, that's where you can find it. Otherwise, thank you for listening. Hope you've had a wonderful holidays. We will be back later this week um, with I believe me and Mike Farron. Uh, but all kinds of stuff going on. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Isabella Joseph for producing this beast of a podcast. You can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. That's B-A-R-B-C-A-S. Let us know your thoughts on the Hall of Fame. Although we probably won't talk about it too much until Adrian Beltre and Todd Helton are inducted. But until maybe Billy Wagner. Uh, but until then, thank you all for listening. And we'll talk to you all very soon. Serious XM Podcasts.